0: Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. We're talking today with Brett Vandenhoevel and Kate Murphy, both from Columbia Riverkeeper. Brett is the executive director. Kate uh, started several months ago as a community organizer, and she's also working on fossil fuel and salmon issues. So welcome to you both.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Brent, there are people in the community who are very familiar with Columbia Riverkeeper, but I'm sure there are some who aren't. So I'd like to ask you the very basic question. What is Columbia Riverkeeper?
2: Yeah, Columbia Riverkeeper is a nonprofit organization that um, works to protect the Columbia. And that means fighting for clean water. That means trying to protect and restore salmon habitat. Um, that means trying to engage communities up and down the Columbia. So our mission is the, the entire Columbia River. We don't draw boundaries at the, at the state borders. Um, and we have a team of about 15 staff members. We have an amazing board of directors and about 8,000 members um, across the Columbia Basin that have the you know, common interest of protecting this river that we all um, care about so much.
0: Well, the team that you have have the skills and the expertise, I think, that enable uh, you to do what you do. You have attorneys on your team. You have scientists on your team. You have people who help organize communities on your team. So when you are approaching a product a project that you need to take action on, how how do you go about that?
2: Yeah, we have a really amazing, talented staff, and it's one of the great parts of my job to get to work with you know with these people and our members every day so um, we approach a project of trying to think of how we can add value you know a lot of times for example for some of these fossil fuel projects like liquefied natural gas um, here in the estuary the the local community had already you know started the process of organizing and, and figuring out how to oppose and And Riverkeeper is often asked to lend support. And so we do that by listening, you know, really listening to what people care about and what the concerns are. Um, We do that by trying to lend some organizing support. How can our staff lend a hand? And we... We pitch in with legal work, and so we have environmental attorneys who can, you know, read those long documents and make sense of the regulatory process, and try to even the playing field a little bit when the companies have, you know, big law firms on their side. We try to to do the same thing for communities that might not have the resources. Um, so we try to be a voice for the river and a and a voice for for communities that are trying to protect the places they love.
0: Well, I remember that as being a very significant thing when, during the the battle against LNG, the two plants uh, in this area, because, uh, you know, a small, relatively rural community doesn't necessarily have those kinds of resources, and it feels a little bit like David and Goliath, and, of course, the little community is David. And I think Columbia Riverkeeper came in and did sort of even up that that fight with with the skills and the expertise that you have.
2: Yeah, well, I... I think this, uh, this little community is punches above its weight in in many ways. I think we, uh, we learned a lot from, from local activists and, and many others on, um, you know, how to, how to make real change. And so, yeah, I think it was very much a team effort of, of David versus Goliath and, um, that very you know the the success here the success in the, in the Columbia River estuary you know including story in Clatsop County but also folks across the river in Washington and throughout the estuary um, has served as a real inspiration and a real model for other fights that have happened afterwards of trying to stop the nation's largest coal export terminal and oil by rail and and, and other communities because you know the, the there's some difference but the fundamental the fundamental facts of of those fights are the same, and the fact that um, together we were able to win here in the estuary has inspired other people who say, "Look, we can do that too." Um, and so, I think that strategy has has been successful and has carried beyond and has transcended the work that that you all started here.
0: Well, the community here certainly was passionately involved in that in that battle, and that kind of gets into your deal with Kate, where. It's your job to go out and and deal directly with the community about these issues.
1: Yeah, a lot of a lot of my work involves visiting these communities, and as Brett mentioned, it's really important for us to listen. Number one, a lot of the times these communities have been in this fight already for a while, and we want to come in and facilitate what they need. And so I have the great pleasure of coming in and meeting these community members who are a great wealth of information, and they... Um, have have helped to guide our role as well, and we kind of just see, as Brett mentioned, what the needs are from that community and how we can tap in to help facilitate their fight to protect the community that they love. And, you know, it's really true that the the LNG fight in Astoria has proven to be a great example for um, other communities fighting these fights. We have, you know, big proposal in Kalama, Washington right now for the world, world's largest fracked gas to methanol uh, refinery. And the community in Kalama has risen up and really held a strong opposition for years. And it's just been a pleasure working with them. We've done some creative actions together.
0: Well, Kate, you're fairly new to Columbia Riverkeeper, but you're not new to Environmental concern. So, That's can true. you tell me a little about your background?
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah, I I actually started um, getting involved quite a few years ago. Around tw- 2013 is when I became more heavily involved, and um, was just really inspired by what I saw other community members doing. I felt an obligation to to be involved, and um, you know, from there I w- furthered my education so I could have a few more tangible skills to add to the fight. And was was very lucky to la- land with the Highly talented team at Columbia Riverkeeper because this organization is really dynamic in its flexibility and its ability to actually, you know, take steps to to block some of these proposals and projects. And one of the things that we look for is not just new proposals on the river. We're also looking at how existing facilities are being kind of changed into other uses. So we have that example in Portland with the Zenith facility um, that, you know, a company bought that facility. It used to be asphalt. They, they, within a few months started shipping tar sands through that facility without much public input. Um, and that's really a danger, not only for Portland, but for anyone downstream. Um, you know, it's a huge concern. And then on top of that, it's just a climate buster to be shipping these tar f- sands and extracting them when, when um, we're facing this environmental crisis. So we, we look for a lot of different ways to get involved.
0: It seems like there's a never-ending Sort of stream of um, proposed projects on the Columbia to bring some kind of fossil fuel something, uh, and ship it or produce it or something on the Columbia. So, I'd like to talk about some of those. Now, you mentioned the the project in Kalama. Can you give us a little more detail about what that is and what's wrong with it? Yeah, there is a a company called Northwest
1: Innovation Works has um, proposed this, this refinery. And as I said, it's the world's largest fracked gas to methanol refinery. And it would be a huge source of pollution as well as fracked gas consumption. And it's proposed in the little town of Kalama, Washington, which is just a few thousand people. So this really is kind of a climate busting project. And, you know, this company wants to use their... Um, feedstock for plastics, and if that's the best thing that you can say about your project is that we're making more plastics, then you know it's probably not off to a good start. So um, yeah, the the community in Kalama has done some really creative organizing around that project. Um, ecologies right now, there's been some interesting developments in the decision making project or process, and ecology is at kind of a critical. Point right now where they have the power to approve or deny this project. And so the local community in Kalama has been really great in engaging in several different ways. They've been writing wonderful letters to the editor, op eds, and then we've been doing what we call No Methanol Mondays in Lacey at the Department of Oncology, where we go up first thing in the morning and we hold our signs and wave at all the people coming to the the office um, just to let them know that we're still there and we're watching and we're really counting on them to make the right decision not only for the community and the environment um, but overall for the planet and and that would be to deny this project
0: well there's a similar at least project across the river at uh, port westward what's what's the status on that what's that about
2: yeah, so Port Westward in Columbia County near Clatskanie has the same company, Northwest Innovation Works, has proposed a twin, uh, frac gas to methanol project. Um, it hasn't moved forward as rapidly as the one in Kalama, um, and part of it is the the port has trying to rezone 800 acres of, what is now agricultural land and zone to agricultural land and turn it into industrial land, which would literally pave the way for uh, more uh, industrial and fossil fuel development. And so we've, we've challenged that along with some, some, um, other organizations and have, have prevented that new industrial, um, process. So the, the methanol refinery is somewhat tied to that. So it's, it's essentially, uh, in a slower process right now, and we're hoping that we can prevent it altogether. Um,
0: and you've mentioned the issue of, of transporting um, materials through the gorge, oil trains and so on. Yes. The,
1: the This area geographically is um, really important in terms of exports. And there's a lot of uh, fossil fuel companies who see the Columbia River as the best route to get these um, different fuels to export. So um, we are really in a unique position uh, to kind of be a cork in that um so to speak so we have really had a lot of success this this region in fact um and really holding what they like people like to call the thin green line and um stopping that point of uh exportation um and forcing them to look for other means of getting their fuels abroad and so um you know that's been really important to keep in mind as we kind of formulate strategies is that this we have a unique position here we have an opportunity to really kind of make it difficult um, for these companies to push these dangerous materials through our communities
0: well how do you respond to people who say oh columbia riverkeeper they're just against development and they're
2: killing jobs there's you know we're trying to protect clean water trying to protect communities and we don't think that building giant coal or fracked gas terminals is the best best future for this um the, the river has been abused for a lot of years and it's really time to stand up both for the columbia river and our climate so um you know we have thousands of members that are that are making this call to for a clean energy future and once we make that shift it's going to be a very um, positive impact for our economy. Um we don't think investing in, you know, in 19th century fuels and 19th century 18th century technology is is the way for our region to grow economically. So we've, you know, there are certainly people who say that. There's no doubt about that, but there's also a lot of forward-thinking businesses that see, hey, we should be doing something different and our Having a, uh, a stable climate, having a healthy Columbia River, having salmon runs that that are not only not going extinct but returning and growing year after year, um, that has a lot of economic value, and that is where we should be placing our bets.
0: Well, to that extent, you've been uh, you've been working with the tribes now about uh, possibly removing some dams to restore the Columbia River to a more natural state. And to perhaps help the fish recover,
2: yeah, yeah, so so a lot of this um fossil fuel work gets gets a you know most gets attention, and but that's by you know we we do far uh more work than that, and um some of it is this idea of restoration, and so there's a couple of exciting things happening, one, the four lower snake river dams. Uh, which are in eastern Washington. There's been effort to remove those for a long time, and that's gaining steam. Um, we think those dams should be removed, and the effect of that would be to open up habitat, high elevation, virtually pristine habitat in Idaho that would allow more salmon to spawn and bring more salmon down here to the estuary. Just um, you know, in, in October, Yakima Nation um, called for the removal of the three lower Columbia River dams, uh, Bonneville, the Dalles, and John Day, which would restore Salilo Falls and some of the fishing runs there. You know, nobody's saying this is going to happen tomorrow, but this right. is a bold vision that Yakima has put forward, supported by Lummi Nation, um, of restoring salmon runs and really thinking about that, replacing that power, those dams that are killing salmon, with truly clean, renewable power, tr- like solar, that can, um, that that isn't going to have this negative impact on salmon. So we stand in solidarity with the Yakima Nation. We work very closely with, with several tribal nations and and we think it's a discussion that needs to you know needs to happen now. And one of the reasons is the Columbia River is getting too hot. You know, here in the estuary it's tidally influenced so you're not feeling it as much, but up upstream more in the Columbia River Gorge and eastern Oregon, eastern Washington, the river is too hot for salmon to survival. And that's to,
0: the, that's because the dams basically have created still water lakes which the solar energy keeps heating up is that the reason?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The reservoirs behind the dams are they're not deep. People have this impression they're deep and thermally stratified, but they're they're shallow reservoirs absorbing a lot of thermal radiation and getting hot, creating us, you know, creating basically a stagnant pool that's warming up in the sun and you add climate change on top of that and it's really pushing the system over the edge. And so dam removal is a uh, is a way to restore temperature on the Columbia that is um, the salmon can survive
0: mm-hmm. yeah, that's having an effect uh, really all, all of and down the chain in terms of forestry as well when we do clear cuts uh, near streams. Those streams are warmer that feed into the Columbia, and that also has an effect on the survival of salmon fry and salmon smolt and Uh, just leads into that picture of a declining uh, salmon population. The involvement of the tribes, of course, reminds us all of the photos we've seen of Celilo Falls and the natives fishing at Celilo Falls. And I guess removal of the dams potentially would bring that back?
2: Yeah, yeah. um, On Indigenous Peoples' Day, the chair of Yakkoi Nation, um, Jody Gowdy, um, stood on the, the banks of the Columbia at you know where Slilo Falls is now, um, drowned by the Dalles Dam, and and made a a call of of restoring the falls and, um, you know, restoring fishing there. And you know these dams. Um, the The Dalles Dam was built just over sixty years ago. You know, it hasn't been forever. There's a lot of people who remember the roar of those falls. There's a lot of people who have fish there that are still alive um people who you know were there as children they're teenagers and um there's you know yakima nation is making a call to to bring that back and restore um you know one of the the greatest fisheries in the world
0: i've been to a first salmon ceremony in that area and um that is as profound and as deep a religious ceremony as, as any other in any other religion and thanking of the creator for providing what people need to survive. Uh, it's it's a very, very moving thing. Kate, I think when we spoke briefly before, um, uh, we talked about the number of things along the Columbia, the number of fossil fuel projects and whether that ever gets discouraging. And you said what helps is to kind of look back at the successes.
1: Yeah, for me, um, you know, we we do this work every day, so it's kind of easy to get stuck in the weeds a little bit. But I like to refer to our website where we have a map of the successes that we've had with communities and partners in stopping these projects. And it's really kind of fun to zoom back out and get some perspective and and look at the before and after of the proposals and what's left and how many we have stopped together Um, and you know that's what makes this exciting to keep going because you you get the sense as you mentioned there's this kind of David and Goliath dynamic and you feel like they're coming at you with a lot of resources but really when you engage communities in and and really you know understand what they want for their community and you can fight for it 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 is really powerful, and, and so I feel really lucky to be in the position to be able to, to do this work.
0: Well, you're involved in, in, a, in a very long stretch of river to protect, and, uh, you know, many of us don't think every day about Hanford, about the Hanford Nuclear Reservation, but you do because you're involved in, in trying to help improve conditions there as well because that's an area that was created to dispose of waste way back uh, during World War Two when we didn't know as much about mm-hmm. science as we do now and some of the techniques they use to isolate that waste are breaking down. What's what's going on there and what are you doing in that in that area?
2: Yeah, the Hanford nuclear site is is a huge problem. Um that was one of the issues that Columbia Riverkeeper was founded around um, you know, twenty plus years ago. And we continue to work on that as well. We're, we're partnering with tribal nations who are doing a phenomenal job of pushing the federal government. Um, it's a frustrating time, you know, just to be blunt about it. The the, the Trump administration has not been a champion of, of investing money in nuclear waste cleanup. Um, the as you mentioned, you know, this was we were producing plutonium there for the Manhattan Project and, and racing to. Uh, build bombs for the war and dumping high-level nuclear waste into the river directly or into storage tanks, um, huge, you know, million-gallon storage tanks, and some of those are now leaking. Some of that uh, has reached the groundwater and is, you know, leaching towards the Columbia River. So it, we're at a time where its if we don't take care of it now, it's going to get worse. Those plumes of groundwater are, are going to reach the Columbia River. And so we're advocating for our federal delegation, for our senators, congress people, to take a stand to invest in Hanford. We're pushing the um, U.S. Department of Energy to uh, do more thorough and more rapid cleanup of Hanford. Um, we attend public hearings. we've We had a big event called the Hanford Journey with Yakima Nation out at Hanford um, this last summer. Um, part of it is raising awareness, but part of it is also advocacy of pushing leaders to to have the courage to clean this up now instead of kicking the can down the road.
0: And that's not going to be a local problem as that situation worsens and more uh, radioactive material escapes from its containment. That's something that really affects the entire river, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the um, some of the plans at Hanford call for essentially uh you know putting a fence around it and saying good enough and that's something we're really um pushing back on and afraid of because mm-hmm. the waste will leave the site and um people will return to it <laughs> eventually um so that's it's a critical time to finish the job to clean it up and that's not easy you know i don't want to be make it sound like it's a it's a simple thing it's complex waste but the only way we're going to um, make that safe for the rest of the region is investing the time and money into doing it now.
0: And as a culture, we've not been quite as good as dealing with complex long-term issues, whether it's that or global warming as we have, with the simpler thing that's right in front of us at this, at this moment. So it, it takes someone to keep pushing on that.
2: Yeah, and um, people are forgetting about it. And that's another role we're doing is, you know, if we go into a school and talk about Hanford and ask people to raise their hand, you know, some t- depending on where you are, uh, only a couple hands will pop up. And so um, so we need to keep that in the public awareness. And, um, you know, we were able to, the, the United States was able to produce, um, build large-scale nuclear reactors and produce plutonium for bombs within, you know, a very short period of time. Uh, within a couple of years, and we think if we put, you know, even a fraction of that effort and and motivation into cleaning it up, um, we could be a lot further than we are today.
0: You know, we've talked a lot about how Columbia Riverkeeper helps others, helps local communities, and so on. What kind of help does Columbia Riverkeeper need? What what what's wanting at your end that you'd like uh, you'd like the community to know about?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Maybe I'll start with a couple of things, Kate, and then we can sure. talk about some specifics. Um, so one big need is to grow our membership. We're, we're looking for additional people to become involved. And um, by being members, people can donate financially and, you know, power this work. They're powering the community organizing. They're powering the attorneys. Um So that's really important. It also gives us strength in numbers, Mm -hmm. where we're able to say, you know, on behalf of our eight thousand members, we, you know, are calling for clean water. And so I encourage people to um, to go to our website, um, and you can sign up to become become a member, become a donor. If you already are, you can you can increase your support, Um, and that also gives um, uh, to the extent that you want them, you can get in updates and action alerts on things that are happening throughout the region and, and we try to tailor them specifically to different communities as well and so if people want to um, stay engaged in what's happening having you know having those emails um, or or on social media is a really good way to do that and then there's some specific um, tasks you know called actions we can request now? Yeah,
1: we, we always have um, some actions that people can take if they're interested in getting involved. And, um, you know, for us, it's really important that, that community members help spread the word about these different um, kind of projects and proposals that we're, we're dealing with because we want people to know about them. So spreading the word is really important. Our website has a, a lot of great resources that will not only help inform about the issue, but also, Give you specific ways to take action and um, one way if people are interested in taking action today we are encouraging people to call the washington department of ecology directly and express their concerns about the proposal for the world's largest frack gas to methanol uh, plant in kalama washington and so um, the phone number if people want to call is 360 360- four zero seven six nine six nine and there's been so much public concern about this project that they actually kind of gave us a dedicated phone line for our comments um and um yeah so that's like the you know signing petitions on on our website we have several petitions up um we have petition about dam removal up right now several others um and we always try to keep that updated um so there's there's things that people can choose from they don't have to you know we don't have to make them do fossil fuel stuff. There's water, you know, hydro stuff and all sorts of ways that people can get involved. And, and of course, people can always reach out to us.
0: So you have the double value that when people get involved, you have additional resources for, you to, for your operating funds. But you also have that thing where you are supporting or are representing a larger and larger and larger group of people, uh, which has great weight in terms of the work that you do. We've mentioned the website a couple times. What is it?
2: Uh, it's ColumbiaRiverKeeper.org.
0: Okay. And you and would you repeat the phone number that you gave yes, in the case phone anybody number... wants to, uh, <laughs> to take it down? Yeah,
1: for the um, Washington Department of Ecology to make your comments about the proposal for the methanol refinery in Kalama, Washington, the phone number is 360-407-6969.
0: Okay, and if you missed any of that, I'm sure you can find it all at columbiariverkeeper.org. That's true. So thanks very much, Kate Murphy and Brett Vanden from Columbia Riverkeeper. We appreciate you talking with us today, and I wish you the best of luck in the work that you're doing.
1: Thanks so much. Thank you, Roger.
0: You've been listening to The Human Beat. My name is Roger Rockin. Thanks for joining us.